Hello, this is Patrick, and it's time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source for high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. Show number seven, medicinal mushrooms. In the Pacific Northwest, fall means rain, and rain means mushrooms. The fungi family offers us an amazing and colorful array of foods and medicines. Today we'll talk about which mushrooms and lichens or lichens make good medicine, how you can make use of them at home. Later in the news, we discuss medical cannabis laws and opioid analgesic overdose mortality. And in Herbalism 101, we define the term analgesic. Now, here are your hosts from thepracticalherbalist.com, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism Radio. Today, we're here to talk about medicinal mushrooms with Dandy, also known as Elise Kolauer. And she runs Dandy's Pantry and provides herbals to various people and to Occupy Medical in the Eugene Springfield community. Welcome, Dandy. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. We have a, a number of questions about mushrooms from you. You're I our mushroom mushrooms. Counsel. Yeah. <laughs> it is the season. I love is. mushrooms. <laughs> I can't wait for the rain. I know. We want, we want a good harvest this year. So we also need the rain for putting out those fires that are right. burning all over Oregon. Right. At Occupy Medical, there are a handful of herbs that we use that are of the mushroom descent. We have turkey tail and reishi and mataki. mataki. It basically depends on what we get donated, but those are the ones that we seem to use the most. Mm-hmm. How do you use those in clinic? Each of us in the herbal treatment department have our own little styles, but tell me about your right. part of it. I like to think of mushrooms as sort of the movers and shakers. They're the ones that can kind of shift your whole... If I see someone whose whole immune system is a little off-kilter or their nervous system is just depleted, mushrooms are good at kind of treating those chronic conditions and, and shifting your body's reaction or, or kind of waking you up even or soothing those nerves. So it's um, it's a it's a... It's a transforming medicine. I like to think of it that way. And so if I see someone who has a variety of conditions, you know, it's one thing after another, I try to look at a broader, a step back and look at a broader scope of like, okay, maybe this person's immune system needs a little extra help, um, either a stimulation or just modulating the response away from sort of attacking its own immune system to actually fighting bacteria and fungus. So so people that have sort of a chronic low-grade inflammation, I might give them some maitake or reishi to, to try to help their body shift that response and start being more active at um, fighting the actual threats rather than fighting their own bodies. What about lichens? Yeah, lichens are... Um, they're a whole different thing. They're a combination of uh, algae and, and fungus. And so they similarly have some of those polysaccharides, but they also have uh, more of an antibiotic potential because they are kind of in this relationship with uh, plant. And so there's a lot of potential for, for the fungus to be damaged by bacteria as well. And so they're a really great one, uh, antibiotic 
uh, as well as the, the immune modulating properties. So I like lichens for uh, respiratory sickness, especially. Mm -hmm. They're kind of the lungs of the forest in a lot of ways. And so similarly, they are particularly useful for uh, treating conditions in the, in the lungs. What are the, some of the ones? I know Usnia is one, but what else do you like to Usnia use? Usnia is the big one, yeah. Lobelia can also be used. Lungwort, the common yeah, name. Yeah, lungwort. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. It's got green on one side, and then the other side is kind of silvery, and it's flat. Yeah. Also called frogback. It's mm -hmm. all bumpy looking. Right. It's right. cool. Yeah. <laughs> we have that a lot in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Blessed with it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I particularly like, like the Usnia. Um, that's, that's a really, really commonly found one as well. Um, which is kind of my thread of herbalism is not finding the rare, rare mm -hmm. thing, but finding the thing that's in abundance and is just asking for us to use it. So that's, yeah, that's the one that I'm most familiar with and that I generally use. And when do you do harvesting with those lichens? Soon, <laughs> soon after the rain comes is my favorite time to harvest the lichen because oftentimes they'll be falling they'll fall out of the branches you know after mm -hmm. being dried up in the summer they can be dormant for a long time so a lot of times they'll kind of perk up and have a little bit more you know photosynthesizing to do before i harvest them with the with the fresh rain but yeah and i so i like to get them kind of this time of year when i can see that that there's some fresh stuff on the ground it's still healthy it's still alive um, before i choose to use that particular clump as as medicine I have a favorite place that I like to collect my lungwort and my usnea. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful spot just west of Eugene, and the mm -hmm. people there, they have good stewardship of the land, and after winter they take all the downed branches and do some trimming, and then they put everything in a nice little pile for me to harvest the usnea oh, off of. <laughs> you I don't lucky. think that's their intention, but that's, you know, <laughs> I, I see lots of usnea and some lungwort. Sometimes it's, it's put together. And when the lungwort and the usnea are together, I'll just put that in a separate tincture, mm -hmm. which, as you said, the respiratory right. is the best. And then the usnea I'll have in its own tincture, and that one's more broad-spectrum mm -hmm. antibiotic. Mm -hmm. but, is there uh, anything special you need to do when you're tincturing lichen? Lynchens, sorry. I always want to call it lichen. Looks too much like the word from that werewolf movie. Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but is there anything special that you do when you're yeah. tinturing? Well, Sue uses a more extensive method than I have. I have... <laughs> We're giving each other letters. <laughs> I'm special. She likes complex things. Sue yeah. sure does. Her processes. I do. I do. But it's true. Uh, the, the, so to get... It depends what you're getting, what you want out of it. Um, to get, similar to mushrooms, to get the polysaccharides out, the, which, has, which are the long-chain sugars that are good for the immune-modulating components, like those are, in, those are extracted best in hot water, similar to mushrooms. If you're going for the antibiotic properties, just an alcohol extract is sufficient. So if you want to get both of those things, then doing a double decoction, a mother extraction as a lot of mushroom experts recommend, um, is, is a good way to get it. Again, it depends on what you're going for, I think, <laughs> and, and how much of those polysaccharides are really important for you to get. I've, I have gone, I've just done the a low alcohol, you know, 45% ABV extraction, and I'm, I've been really happy with the flavor and the effects of that. I, I do, I make like a, a 
throat spray out of that, just an extraction mm-hmm. of that. And that seems to do the trick for So would you potentially do, like, get some brandy and extract it into right, that? Right, exactly. So not right. worry about doing the Everclear or... Right. 100%. Right. Okay. Right. Now, if you wanted to go all out and really get everything you could out of that plant. That's right. <laughs> now we're talking my action. Yeah. Yeah. Sue could tell you more about that. Yeah, the first the first Usnea tincture I ever made was with some serious Everclear because that's what Sue said to do. Uh-huh. And it yeah, was a good tincture. Yes, it, it did. did. Work. Yes, it did. It did. I have also done extraction by just canning the alcohol minstrum with the Usnea. And it, I just canned it, and then after a while, opened it up, and there. When it was. you say canned, it like water bath or pressure canned? Oh, pressure, pressure canning, can. yeah. Okay. Really giving it some punishment. That's because that fungus wants to hold on to everything. It's really good. It's That's true. one of the okay. reasons why it's so durable in the powdered form. Mm-hmm. So at this time of year, which is the canning season anyway, mm-hmm. you're telling me that you could theoretically, once the rain comes and we've had just enough to start gathering some usnea or some mushrooms, you could take them can them up with alcohol like with brandy or even Everclear or 100 proof if you wanted and throw them in your canner at what 10 pounds pressure (laughs) water bath canning how would you do this (laughs) I've done it both ways and I've had best the best experience in using small containers so like cup size jelly jars yeah jelly jars they, they, I've just gotten darker color, and it just mm-hmm. tasted mm-hmm. more Usnea-like mm-hmm. as a result. And that's not science at all. Sure, no, that's that's practical herbalism. Yeah. Kitchen science. Kitchen it's science. Practical herbalism. It's practical herbalism. <laughs> and by the time three months had passed, it was uh, perfect. It was perfect for use. And by that time, it was time for me to use it. We needed it. So, would you water bath it for what? Like it would tomatoes? When 10, I was doing or? just a water bath, yeah. Uh, again, it was a smaller batch. I wasn't doing a quart size, although I certainly mm-hmm. could have. But it was right. just for home use. Right. So I didn't you... need huge amounts. Uh, but I had huge amounts of usnea. Right. So there's the thing is that once you get a hold of usnea, you want to utilize it. And oh, yeah. canning it, you're, you already have it in an alcohol water minstrum, so it's going to preserve. But having it sit on the shelf with its little label on it, tucked away where you can pick it out whenever you get and I would combine it with uh, thyme as well that was a nice for antibiotics uh, not that thyme is antibiotic but it feels so good on the throat yeah. and it well it is that, antimicrobial it is antimicrobial it's, it's a really strong little herb I mean, yeah it's, it's palatable thing. for kids it's, yeah that was my thing that I needed and then I could add that to a, a nettle syrup or something like that to add a little sweetness that makes sense well so what about mushrooms? Would you can them, Dandy, do you think? Would you give that a try? You know, I have not tried the canning, but I think I will this year. I'll, I'll give that a shot. I guess I'm afraid of it blowing up. But oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys are too. I am too. Every time I can it, it's like, I'm canning alcohol. Okay, y'all this is a recipe over. for a disaster. Here you we go. You guys all just come over to my place. We'll, we'll can. I've got three canners. I right. mean, I can like Let's a fiend. It. It's amazing. Fun. I'll still be afraid. <laughs> That's part of the excitement. It is, yeah. <laughs> On the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do motocross. So, here in the Pacific Northwest, and honestly, I remember them back from Minnesota. We didn't have as many, and when you found them, you didn't tell anybody where they were and probably set up guard dogs around the patch. But here, there are almost a diamond dozen. We've got the chanterelles. Mm I know they have some medicinal properties. I don't know much about that. Mm-hmm. Are those or any others that we can find out in the woods here in this 
Pacific Northwestern-ish area. Yeah, so chanterelles are delicious. They're great <laughs> food. They're relatively mild in terms of actual medicinal therapeutic quality, but um, for in terms of having like those sort of micronutrients and micronutrition going on, like they're absolutely great and taste delicious and are in abundance. So yes. certainly met- medicine as food. Oyster mushrooms. Oyster Another mushrooms are very well. medicinal. They're medicinal. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. There's got to be medicinal mushrooms yeah. in this area. Good God, mm-hmm. we've got so many. Right, so, right. a yeah. lot of the ones that are have more of those like triterpenes on the potent like antimicrobial properties come from the polypore mushrooms, which are those shelf ones. Okay. Um, Reishi and the conchs. Right. Is that right. Correct? Right. Yep. The reishi, the artist conch, the fomatopsis is the Latin name. And Ganoderma, so so that kind of family, the polypore family, are just packed with uh, really potent medicine and have been used in you know traditional Chinese medicine and other traditions for a really long time. Ancient medicine, but again, really hard to get that out of there because, right. like you said, the mm-hmm. the fungal cells like to just hang on to it because that's what they use to protect themselves. You know, right. and they're um, not chewable. Not chewable. No. <laughs> so, no. 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 Maybe I can talk a little bit about, you know, you find a beautiful reishi in an old growth forest when you're on a walk. What do you do? Yes. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> well, first you want to make sure it's it's fresh and that the, the bottom of it is looking, you know, nice and white um, and that there's not a bunch of worms that have eaten their way into it or anything like that that there are plenty of those mushrooms around. If it's the only one you see in the whole forest, for goodness sake, leave it alone because it needs to sporulate and spread that reishi around. But oftentimes when you when you find mushrooms, you find a flush of them. And right. so same same with the polypores. Often you'll find, you know, several reishis growing out of the same log. If you see one growing out of a log, look around, find, find more. But then you want to harvest it off from behind the neck and certainly know which mushroom you're getting. A lot of times reishi can, can look like the um, red-belted conch because the, the spores tend to form this powder, powdery look on top that makes it look dull. But you can pull, if, you, if you rub it off, if you see a, a conch mushroom with kind of a dull reddish hue on top, you know, rub it off and see if it's shiny underneath, you've got yourself a reishi. And so what you want to do is, as soon as you get home, slice that up into thin slices to dry it. Once it's, if it dries when it's whole, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to process it. That's when you use a hatchet. Yeah, that's when you... <laughs> Literally, yes. Yeah. I've done that. Yeah. It just is a rock. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Thinner, thin, real thin slices, and that's how you're going to get, you know, the more surface area that's exposed, the more medicine you're going to be able to get out of it. So... Once you have those thin slices that are dried, you can you know store it like any other herb. And when you're ready to, to make it into medicine, you can first do a, a tincture. Um, this, I'm going to describe what I'm going to describe now is the process of making a mother extract, which okay. is a combination of a tincture and a decoction, so that you're getting both of those triterpenes, the antimicrobial and antiviral herbs uh, or uh, constituents, as well as the polysaccharide immune modulating properties so the the tincture extract you can do a high alcohol soak it in there for you know i've i've done up to six months you know just like 
leave it at the back of your shelf and forget about it for a while until you get a nice rich kind of chocolatey color out of it. You can let it sit. And then once you have that tincture, the high alcohol uh, tincture, pull the plant or the fungal material out and throw it in a crock pot. Or if you're brave, you can do this canning thing like Sue does. <laughs> but what I like to do is put it, put that material in a crock pot, cover it with water, and make an overnight decoction that way. Um, you know, crank it up to high and let it sit overnight. You have a nice dark kind of water that's been simmering, you know, for several hours overnight. Do you put a cloth over that to try oh, to yeah. preserve? Keep yeah. the water. Yeah, keep the, the water in. The lid does really well on crock pots. It Keeps does, but it. I've had a lot of moisture escape. Yeah, yeah. Which whole, is, I wake yeah. up in the morning and the whole place smells like a giant mushroom, and I right. know that oh, stuff that I want to good. keep. Right. Yeah. Right. So maybe I have a not not the best crock pot. Well, that's. I mean, that's a good point. You might want to reinforce your lid with some tin foil or something to really keep the moisture yeah. in. But you know, it's okay if, like in a decoction, a lot of the point of a decoction is to let some of the moisture escape so that you're really, you know, bringing that down. But you're right, there is some, some aromatic stuff that's nice to keep in with a, with a lid. Um, yeah. But yeah, bringing that level down to, um, you know, the right volume, you want to definitely add the right volume to your alcohol extract in the end so that you have, I like to go for about 35 to 40% alcohol. Um, so you know, adding adding two thirds amount of, of water is um, the upper limit of what you'd want to do. So one third of your tincture and then two thirds of a decoction mm-hmm. is kind of what I aim as the as the upper limit because the the polysaccharides will break down in in alcohol eventually. Mushroom these mushroom tinctures don't last for more than a year for sure. I some of the reishi stuff I've made hasn't lasted more than six months um, if it's in higher alcohol because it's the polysaccharides don't last very long, mm-hmm. but they only come out in hot water. They're not going to come out in tincture. So get them out in the hot water, and then you want to sort of stabilize the whole thing with a low level of alcohol. And that's that's what a lot of the experts recommend. That's how I make reishi, and how I found it to be most shelf stable is doing that mother extract. If you were to end up with too much of decoction, let's mm-hmm. say you had like an ounce of tincture, so but you ended up with five ounces of decoction in the end, Drink. could you take? I was gonna say, could you take the extra and stick it in the freezer and you make could. like Sue's medicinal mm-hmm. ice cubes? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly, yeah. and add that to you know have a beverage later in the year, or yeah, you can make it up as a tea to serve to people. Reishi, as we were saying, isn't the best flavor, <laughs> but it's good in a beer. It's, yeah, I was just saying that would probably idea. be good in a that's beer. A great yeah. Idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That to your to that to your stout. Uh, exactly. So that is exactly how I had it. Had a chocolate stout yep. and put the the. the I think it was the reishi great. exactly. Mm-hmm. Nice the ice cubes, and I know you're not supposed right. to put ice cubes in a beer, but. Right. Who am I to follow those yeah. conventions? Yeah, like you follow the rules. I like <laughs> no way I make the rules. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. It or was a hot good. chocolate, just like, you know, adding, making it into a hot cocoa sort of mm-hmm. thing with a little sweetener. I've done that before. Mm-hmm. It's really good because it, it has a kind of like almost chocolate feel to it, you know? I wonder if it'd be good in an espresso drink, mm. like in a coffee, Definitely. latte. Yeah. Reishi latte. Yeah. <laughs> so you can so justify good. the... Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> Sound logic. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> hey, coffee's medicine, too, it for is. at least some people. Antioxidants. <laughs> and, yeah. 
Keeps my eyes open. <laughs> I'm a shameless coffee drinker. I love coffee. <laughs> right. So what about some of these other herbs? Like turkey tail. I've harvested quite a bit of that. Yeah, and turkey tail grows everywhere. And that that's one of those ones that grows in a lot of places, you know, outside of the Northwest, too. And it's not picky about the type of wood that it grows on. It grows on rotting lumber in your yard. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's everywhere. And it's so charismatic and beautiful, the, mm-hmm. all the colors, that, the stripes that it gets. So I heard somebody say that you need to really watch where you're collecting yeah. it from like well not just the toxins in the area yeah but because it will absorb some of those things but also yeah, if the it's wood growing that off it'll... your deck no yeah with your no. pressure treated lumber do you, you want to be harvesting it no. probably not right right yeah, you'll you... see it growing out of your lumber but whether or not you want to take it from there is, yeah yeah so no. why would that be such a well concern mushrooms are kind of like I don't know. They so they like the rain so much because the water gives them this turgid pressure to really like to grow their fruiting body. They just like pull up that moisture and anything that is soluble in that water, they're gonna pull up with it into its mm-hmm. fruiting body. And so that's why in a lot of so they're oftentimes used for um, bioremediation for this reason because they'll pull toxins and even heavy metals out of the soil right because they they can they just absorb whatever they're growing on they're just going to absorb that so yeah you want to be really careful because if you're harvesting out of a place that's had pollution a place that has been exposed to you know lead exhaust in the past you're going to be taking that in with your medicine too so mushrooms it's really really important even maybe more important than than with herbs to make sure it's coming from a clean clean substrate and, and clean soil. Right, so you don't want to be harvesting your turkey tail off the back deck no. or off the lumber pile you left at the corner <laughs> no. of the street near no. where all the cars go by. Patch, for example. No. <laughs> no. Why do people have those? Yeah. But in areas where, for instance, the like the forestry service or the lumber companies have you know, come through and done their cutting. Well, be how careful because they spray. That's what I'm saying. Right. You know, how do you how do you know whether right. it's a safe place? Because that feels like it's out in the middle of the woods. And yet. yeah, yeah. I mean, so I like to harvest from my backyard because I, I get a lot of turkey tail that comes up. Just you know, because I try to do permaculture and and there's kind of volunteer mushrooms that come up on logs that I have. Sure. And so, so I try to get it from my backyard, but oftentimes I'll get it from national forest land as well national forest doesn't spray as much as private land so just kind of looking around and look for you know i'm probably not as careful as most people but i look around and i try to observe if if there's a lot of growth in the understory and um it looks like a decently healthy place then then i just assume that they have not sprayed and that's probably not totally safe but i'm I'm kind of trusting my instincts and what I've seen before and what a sprayed patch looks like. And I was just saying, the sprayed patch looks like there's not a lot of undergrowth. You can tell, yeah. And they don't they tend to spray, especially when they're first growing, and then right. again when they're just about getting ready to cut. Right, yeah. So in a mature forest, especially in a in a area that's heavily used for public recreation, mm-hmm. they're not they're not going to spray in that area, but yeah, you, again, you want to be ethical about harvesting in a recreation area because it. Can there's also, people. Yeah, there's a lot of people walking by and having, you know, mushrooms on the path is an educational opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm walking along a path and I see a lot of mushrooms, I try to step off the path and then harvest kind of away from that 
path so that I'm not taking, you know, right on right along that way where other people can see and appreciate that this is a healthy forest with lots of mushrooms. Sure. So what about Shaga? Shaga, yeah, Shaga is a really powerful one, and that's one we use in the clinic as well. I neglected we've to had, mention. Yeah, we have had Shaga, and that one is actually. I, so the, the, I've only actually harvested Shaga once, and that was in Minnesota, northern Minnesota. Was it growing on a birch? Growing on a birch. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's when you want to get it because the again the Shaga, like other mushrooms, will absorb whatever it's growing on, and so the medicinal properties of Shaga are actually yeah. a lot of its betulinic acid which the birch is producing. producing yep. Shaga that grows on other trees don't have that. The shaga is really good. Uh, it has this, uh, the betulinic acid inhibits DNA unwinding, and so that one is a really potent for um, antioxidant, anti-aging, as well as um, helping recover from can- damage from chemotherapy and, and cancerous cell lines. So, so chaga has been used in northern climates like boreal forests for thousands of years it's a circumboreal um there's a lot of tradition in russia especially with chaga um, and it has this a decoction of it has this really rich dark um flavor and like like i said i love coffee so i really love those mm-hmm. rich dark beverages and i could I love this. I love the flavor of chaga. It's really tasty too. And the fungus itself just looks like a burn. Yeah, it's so silly. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just this like burn char looking thing. Yeah. Um, it looks it, like a tumorous growth and it blends in with the, the birch because the birch kind of has that sometimes, anyways, mm-hmm. you know, those little knobby pieces. So it's actually really well uh, like hidden and sometimes you have to really get up to a tree to see is that really a mushroom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that one that you can also purchase through? various online sources of which I don't currently have on yeah. my head, but <laughs> in, yeah you can get those pretty commonly in like a cap encapsulated form as like a powdered powdered medicine mm-hmm. that's one of the things I like about mushroom medicine is that it's so flexible because right. it's very durable so right. if I'm giving St. John's wort I'm not going to give it right. to them in capsule form right but for mushrooms, I feel very confident. The right. durability of the mushroom itself within that capsule. It's not my favorite way to administer it, but it's its perfectly adequate. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, and that's thats the nice thing is, you know, like you're saying, it, it's perfectly stable in capsule form and just as potent, and a lot of people aren't comfortable drinking mushroom tea or mm-hmm. having a tincture, you know. They're used to just having pills, and so right. having that option is really nice at the clinic because we can have these capsules of maitake and shaga and people are like oh pills i know how to take pills you know what do you use the maitake for that one oh that one was one that you said chronic inflammation right yeah well a lot of these are are great for chronic inflammatory conditions because they they help shift the immune profile so that your immune system isn't like fighting fighting your own body or kind of having these allergic reactions, really high sensitivity to pollens or um, molds. You know, it kind of shifts your body's reaction so that it's fighting the bacteria and the things that are actually... um, The real threats. The real threats, right, Right, exactly. Because a lot of, you know, in in this day and age, we're actually living in a really clean environment and we aren't exposed to the same pathogen load as our ancestors. And so our immune systems evolved alongside with heavy pathogen load and parasites particularly. There's a lot of developing theories right now about um, 
the hygiene hypothesis and how asthma etc right so so asthma and allergies and a lot of autoimmune diseases are a more common uh, or a more modern you know developed world problem because we don't have the same pathogen or parasite load as our sort of ancestors did so that might be one of those reasons why they say that raising your young children in a house with dogs or cats is really good because that extra crud those animals yeah. bring in, though I love them, yeah. and can help keep your immune system working right. properly. And your baby tasting the dirt, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's, it's, it's body is good. actually like, you know, adjusting to some germs that are in the environment. And so, you know, with... With within caution, reason. you know, within reason, within yeah. reason mm-hmm. obviously, but just having that in the back of your mind and and knowing that having exposure to germs is actually a good thing, especially early in life when your immune system is developing. So that's that's like the main therapeutic potential of, of mushrooms is those polysaccharides, which are part of the cell wall, you know, and, and that's why it's so hard to get these extractions out because you have to break down these like really rigid cell walls to get the polysaccharides out. Could you talk really briefly about some of these other culinary mushrooms that also double as good, like shiitake Shiitake and lion mane, culinary and medicinal? Right. So shiitake is also, again, great for Western diets because it's awesome for uh, lowering cholesterol. So that has uh, a unique, you know, therapeutic potential with the cholesterol uh, benefit. And then it's another one. The cordyceps is the caterpillar fungus, which has a funny, <laughs> funny shape to it. And that one you can get at some health food stores. I, I haven't seen. You, it's not really realistic to harvest it, wild harvest it necessarily. But if you had a caterpillar farm, if perhaps. you had a caterpillar farm, yes. those, those are <laughs> less common nowadays. Yes, this is a mushroom that likes to grow on the dead bodies of insects. So it's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting one. But that one has a. Um, sort of an energizing uh it actually has a molecule that mimics adenosine which is a one of the nucleoside nucleotides that make up our dna and make up atp which is our body's energy molecule and so so that one is actually provides the building blocks for our the the molecules that are our energy storehouses nice are there any other menstruums that you use besides alcohol for extracting, perhaps with your and fermentation water. background? Hmm. Well, so one of my goals, this I would like to do that this fall, is actually try try an oil one. Mm-hmm. There is very little research done on this, and so not many people know about you know its therapeutic potential, but um, there's so many skin conditions that are autoimmune-related, mm-hmm. and so I really want to try an oil so that I can make a, a mushroom salve to put on sort of eczema psoriasis-type skin conditions that are inflammatory autoimmune reactions uh, so that the they're getting like a localized sort of sort of immune shifting uh salve on there so i don't know if it'll work uh <laughs> some people some people say it does but truffle oil is well known try. You know, that's true. Obviously, right. extraction that happens right. with it, so mm-hmm. it's not unthinkable. Utterly delicious too. Oh, so Truffle yes. butter too. Yeah. Very Ooh. good. Yeah. Right. And I know of some people that will pickle some of Ooh. their mushrooms. I have not tried that yet either. So 
things to do this fall. (laughs) So what is, uh, before we get done here, because we're all running out of time, but I wanted to go over what is the the dosage roughly, um, because I don't think it's not the same as what you use for your standard herbal thing. Like if you're giving St. John's wort, for instance, you're going to give them a, a dropper to maybe two a day maximum for a short duration. What do you do with mushrooms? Right. Yeah, mushrooms you wanna you wanna have a higher dosage than most than most of the herbs that you would take, and again, it depends on the person and it depends on what you're trying to sure. treat. If you're really if you're trying to cure cancer, for goodness sake, you're gonna need a lot more of this, and you're gonna need to actually think about investing some money in in buying larger amounts of these mushrooms to get a therapeutic dose on a daily basis. Three to six grams is kind of a standard that I hear for a daily kind of immune shifting response, but oftentimes it's up to 20 grams for for that's helping dried, chemotherapy. Right. Or is that tincturized, dry? Yeah, so that's either dry weight or the equivalent of your tincture extract. Okay. Another interesting um, therapeutic dosage that people have tried is pulse therapy, which is kind of going taking the mushroom for one week and then not having it for a week and taking it for another week and then not having it for a week. And so I'm not totally sure the the reasoning behind that, but I know that that's what Paul Stamets, who's one of the big medicinal mushroom guys, he advocates mm-hmm. for that therapy and that's what he uses for himself. So again, with mushrooms, like I really encourage people to do their own research and find out you know, if they want to use it for therapy, find out what mushroom is best for you because every mushroom is slightly different in terms of its immune modulating and um, cancer inhibitory effects. You know, different cancer cell lines are better paired with different mushrooms. And so it's hard to talk about, like, you know, this specific mushroom is a cure-all because it's not. It's everybody's different and every particular virus cancer is, is different. And so... If you're interested, if you want to use mushrooms therapeutically, I really encourage people to do their own research, find out what an appropriate dosage is for the condition they're they're facing and their body weight and their body weight exactly exactly, and then and really is this something I want to invest in for the long term because it is a longer term. It's not just like a antibiotic herb where you're where you're just like taking it acutely. You want you want these over you know several months. Um, so really, like you have to think about like the price and and if you want to invest in in taking this and commit to taking this because it's not something that you're going to f- get the effects of after just a week of taking right. it. Makes sense. Do you have any particular books or online sites sources that you would suggest for good research? Spots? Yeah. So fungal pharmacy is a really good one. Um, that's like super dense. Or, it's not dense, but it's got it's thick and it's got a lot of information. And that's um, a book, right? Yeah. Okay. It's if, got pretty pictures. And pretty pictures. Fungal pharmacy. A more condensed clinical guide is Martin Powell's Medicinal Mushroom, which is, you know, much thinner and it just kind of goes through the actual clinical treatments and, and the results of those experiments. So it's got a sort of scientific clinical angle to it. Anything by Paul Stamens, I would yeah, say. Paul yeah, Paul Stamens is a great author. He's done so much research on mushrooms that... Right. Yeah, and there's a couple other good ones out there that aren't coming to mind right now, but... Um, For wildcrafting, I, I think the... Um, oh, yeah. The mushrooms David Aurora. And, yeah, David Aurora right. is a really good one. Yeah, What the Rain Promises and More is a great um, pocket, pocket book, but does not have the full 
you know, isn't isn't great for identifying down to the species level. So having his um, Mushrooms Demystified book paired with All the Rain Promises is a really good combo, and anyone who's into mushrooms in the Northwest should have those two books. Okay, are there any online sites that you recommend or that you have found to be particularly helpful or...? There is one that I found for sort of using a dichotomous key online. I think it's called um, like Mushroom Kingdom or something. I can't remember the name, but but I've used some I've used some online for identifying a species. Um, but other than that, yeah, I just I have my a few books that I use as references, and I like to have those on hand. Sure. Well, thank you very much, and your email account, if anyone wants to get a hold of you or find out more about medicinal mushrooms more directly, would be herbaldandy at gmail.com. Dandy with a Y. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Herbalism and Homesteading News. The Journal of America Medical Association, also known as JAMA Internal Medicine, published an article entitled Medical Cannabis Laws and Opioid Analgesic Overdose Mortality in the United States from 1999 to 2010 on August 25, 2014. We discuss the results of the study as well as the statistics on opioid analgesic and the use and overdose cited on the Center for Disease and Control website. Can you talk a little bit about this, particularly what are opioid analgesics? Yeah, well, in this study, they uh, what I what I hadn't known until I took a look at it. Even though I live in this state, is the three states: California, Oregon, and Washington. We have had medical cannabis laws in effect just before 1990. Nin- oh, sorry, 1999. 1999. And then the other ten states, um, which they listed, have had the laws enacted between 1999 and 2010. So that's quite a bit of time for study. And what they found out was states with medical cannabis laws have a 24.8 lower mean annual opioid overdose overdose mortality rate. And that is really significant, particularly since opioid mortality is on the rise significantly within the last 20 years or so. There's a variety of different reasons for that. An opioid, let me give you a couple of examples here, would be ones that are derived from the opium poppy, or very, very synthetic versions of that. Um, oxycodone is one of those. Uh, methadone, of course, is a more extreme version of it. Codeine, those are all things. Vicodin is okay. a common name, uh, brand name for one of the opioids. And those are one of three of the most abused medications. And what is really kind of ghastly to me is how in- in the increase, it's tripled. Drug overdose death in the United States has more than tripled since 1990. And that's some staggering numbers. In 2008, there were 14,800 prescription painkiller deaths. And that's that's just enormous. Yeah, Yeah, that's enormous. And what is also interesting is people who, and I'm getting this information from the CDC site, people who abuse prescription painkillers are getting their drugs 55% of the time for free from a friend or relative, only 17.3% get a, that abuse prescription painkillers are getting it via prescription from a doctor. The rest of it is getting either um, they buy it from friends or they steal it or they go to a drug dealer or some other source, but 
it's a kind, well-meaning person in their family that sees them in pain, and they understand for whatever reason in our clinic, mostly we'll see people that they know they're not going to get an opioid prescribed to them. A lot of times it's because they're pregnant, and you don't want to put somebody on coding that's pregnant for fairly obvious reasons. So their friend or their relative gives them this, and then all of a sudden you've got someone who's addicted. There's a reason why that doctor isn't going to prescribe it. You have a child that is born who is addicted to opioids. And it is really interesting, the study that you mentioned, to have some kind of relief for that. I'm not sure what that's going to mean in the long run because even though it's a significant amount of years of study, we don't really have a context for our culture and what that's going to mean 50, 60 years down the line because these people are being born into the society and what's it going to look like once they've been able to play out uh, this kind of constant opioid abuse and medical marijuana in this system. I'm fascinated. I'd be interested to see more studies on this line. I think the thing for me, the thing I found most interesting is that the study cited that in the states that do have the cannabis laws, so people have the opportunity to choose a natural herbal that's a really high-powered herbal Mm -hmm. for dealing with pain, we found that the opioid um, overdose death mortality rate, that goes down. Yeah, by a quarter. A significant. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So I'm I'm interested to see more of it. As far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out. Yeah. But my my interest is is definitely peaked. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Sue. Mm -hmm. Herbalism 101. Herbalists use a variety of terms to describe the properties of herbs. We discuss the term analgesic and how it's used in both the pharmaceutical and herbal world. Today, Sue, I'd like to talk about analgesic. What does that term really mean? Yeah, it basically means it comes from the Greek, which means without pain, and it's just another fancy name for a painkiller. In the -the over-the-counter world, we see a lot of different painkillers like the NSAIDs, you know, aspirin, Tylenol, ibuprofen, and of course there's a whole bunch of analgesics that get prescribed, and some of them are a little daunting when you think about oxycodone, or there's methadone, there's a variety of different things that can cause addiction issues, but for our purposes in herbal world, both you and I have some very favorite analgesics. What are your favorites? I love the combination of Meadowsweet and Willow Bark. Oh. Whenever I've been in pain, and have any kind of pain, really, and that is, tea? yep, yep. I usually do a tea. I have added willow bark to syrups as well as a tincture to help preserve the syrup, and also the syrup covers up the barky taste. But yeah. the smell of that really is very relaxing to me. Reminds you of healing when you smell it. Mm-hmm. My very favorites much. are ginger and turmeric, which I know are related. Saint John's wort. And cayenne. Those are my absolute favorites. Nice. And they're all wonderful because they are so easy to incorporate in your food. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yep. And everybody at some point feels some kind of pain. Cayenne is great because it can be used topically. And people get a little unnerved about it. But tiger balm, that's mm-hmm. that's just that's... absolutely full of cayenne. Oh, yeah. Don't sure put is. it in your eye. Yeah. And then two others that uh, we haven't, we don't, we have we have a lot of in Oregon would be the California poppy mm-hmm. and medical marijuana. That's right. Yeah, those are two analgesics. And mm-hmm. California poppy, sometimes people get confused with the opioid poppy or the opium poppy, but they, they're they only vaguely related. Right. They're 
yeah, it's a very different thing, and it is the California puppy is not addictive. Yeah, the California puppy is nice, calm, quiet, safe for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, generally a friendly little puppy. Very easy to grow. It's very weedy. Yep, and the cannabis is a particularly strong and healthy but strong yes. analgesic. And the word weedy refers to it in several different ways. It sure does. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. If you want the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. We'll do our best to answer your question on a future episode of Real Herbalism Radio. Thank you for listening to Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's show, or to leave a comment or suggestion, visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. If you're feeling social, you can find us on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms practical herbalist. This show is sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Till next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and thepracticalherbalist.com.